The following is a message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. More information about Parkview is available at www.parkviewchurch.org. Good morning. Welcome to Parkview. I'm Doug, one of the pastors here, and you probably are figuring out that we're going to talk about Jonah today, right? So John uh, Sawinski and his team, don't they do a great job with our sets behind us? So I'm really thankful for that. So yeah, give it up for them. Get a round of applause. So, uh, and Jonah is going to be an amazing book. It's got four chapters. It's one of the shortest, uh, it's a shorter book of the Bible. It's only got 48 verses. Uh, Jonah's considered to be one of the minor prophets. Um, but as you read it, it looks really different than any other book of prophecy because there's hardly any prophecy in it. It's a story. And if you look at the story, it's probably like a, maybe it could even be like a four or six week chunk of this guy's life. And other than this, we don't know much about Jonah, all right? He's mentioned once in Second Kings that he was a prophet. It tells us where he was from. And then probably most importantly, Jesus mentions him. And we'll talk about the link between Jesus and Jonah a little bit, but really an obscure guy. And if you actually look at, look at this story, look at his four or six week slice of his life, you go, that guy was a prophet? Are you sure? You know, and so uh, stay humble in that because if we, somebody were to write a book on your life and just pulled out a random four or six week chunk, you might also, you know, really, is that what he's like? So, but um, it's going to be, it's going to be a great study. And in fact, as we go through it, I think there's three key themes you'll just see run throughout the book of Jonah. One is, is that God is the glorious, sovereign God who rules all things. Like God does whatever he pleases. And so you see that throughout the book of Jonah. He commands a storm and he commands uh, waves to come up like sailors had never seen before. You see him command a fish not just to swallow somebody, but three days later to puke them up on land, okay? Commanding. You'll see God commanding a plant to grow and then commanding a worm to eat that plant. And you'll see God probably most importantly kind of flip a huge city of 120,000 people and bring them to their knees and to fall before the God who is so great. And so, so God's sovereignty and his rule is throughout this very short book. But the big question that you see underlying that is, uh, are we going to let God be the ruler of our lives? Because actually, we look at, je- at God's job description, and we say, I want that. Like, that's, that's I want that role. Like, I want to be able to call the shots and make all my decisions and do whatever I want to do. And so there's going to be a constant tension, not just in Jonah's life, but it's one that you're going to see in your life, too. There's a propensity that we all have to, even though God's in charge, we want to be in charge. And we don't do God's thing, we do our thing. So you'll see that throughout the book. And it's going to be a crucial one for us to grip, come to grips with. Second one is this, is that God invites us into his mission to do things that we would never even dream are possible, okay? And so, in fact, there's a lot of skeptics that look at this book and immediately just kind of brush it aside. Ah, oh, it's fiction. How could a big fish do that? How could a big city flip around? Like, how, how could all of that really happen. And so uh, the problem is a lot of people approach God that way too. Like, well, God's not going to do this. And we put God in a small box. But God is actually doing amazing and astonishing things. In fact, a quote I heard this week is that amazing starts with daring. That God is doing big things. And there's going to be times in your life where he's going to invite you to take a big step and go with him in the big story that he's writing. 
And so we've got our little stories about our lives that we're writing, but God breaks through at times and invites you into something much bigger, a bigger, a bigger story uh, that he is doing. And so a lot of people brush this book aside. Uh, that would never happen. So, I mean, just look at our last few weeks. Would the Cubs ever win a World Series? Well, yeah, the Cubs won a World Series. And I don't know where you landed with the vote Tuesday, but there's a lot of people saying Donald Trump would never be president. Well, for good or bad, Donald Trump's our president, right? And I'll be honest, like last night, I had no idea. Like I was, my concern was, are we going to lose by 30 or are we going to lose by 40? Like they, they're trying to run up scores and be in the top four. And then here we are and the Hawks pulled it off, right? Is that awesome? How many of you guys were there? How many of you guys were on the field and all that? Like that was astonishing. Okay. So, so don't do that with Jonah. I don't know Jonah. It didn't really happen. Yeah. Jonah, you know, on a way grander scale, God constantly shatters the small boxes that we keep putting him in. So our challenge is, are we going to let God be God? And are we going to respond to his call that awesome is preceded by daring? And so there's times that God's going to invite you into something big. And the question is, are you going to trust him? Are you going to go? Here's the third question. You see kind of the third theme that runs throughout this book is that God is, along with being great, God is incredibly gracious. And God loves to extend his mercy and his grace to hopeless and to broken people. God is eager to share his grace with us. And so you're going to see that throughout. So the question is going to be, are we going to be the kind of people that not just receive that grace from God? Are we going to be the kind of people that are willing to pass that on to the people in our lives? Even people that on the surface, you look at them, you go, oof, I don't know if I want to be around those folks. I don't know if I want to be with them. I don't know if I want good things to happen to them. Um, but that you're going to see God just constantly chip away at that whole concept of his grace for you and then his desire for you to share that grace with anyone in your life. So it's a crucial book. We need this for our own just walk with God. We need this as a church, that, that we do this well, what God is calling us to do together as a church. So let me pray for us, and we'll jump in and do, do a study here. So uh, Father, I thank you for this this, this great book, it's just four short chapters. It's a guy that at times we're going to look at him and go, man, that guy was goofy. That guy, what was he thinking? Uh, and yet we're going to see through Jonah's life your incredible power and your incredible grace. And uh, if we're honest, we're just like Jonah. We have incredibly goofy tendencies in our lives. We have seasons where we have just run from you. God, would you get a hold of us this morning? Remind us of who you are and remind us of what you're calling us into. So speak to your people today. Thanks that you love us. In your great name we pray. Amen. All right, let's jump in. Uh, I should have warned you. If you want to start finding Jonah in a Bible, it takes a while. It's like one of those small, minor prophets. So just look at the table of contents. It'll save you time. Or you can use your phone, your device, and just swipe to it, and they'll be quicker. So let's go Jonah 1, uh, verse 1. Okay, let's just jump right in. It says, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. This is an incredibly abrupt start to the book. We don't hear much about Jonah. There's not much introduction. It's just game on. And the first thing you see prominently is the word of the Lord. Like just, that's a phrase, very specific phrase, used over 240 times in the Old Testament, the word of the Lord. It was meant to be incredibly authoritative and powerful. God is sovereign, and the way that he rules is through his word. And so in Genesis 1, when God spoke, he created all there is to create. That's the power and the authority of his word. And so right away, you see front and center, the word of the Lord came to 
Jonah, a prophet, okay? And um, there's three commands right out of the chute. Arise, go, and call out. Arise, go to Nineveh, and, and cry out. So a couple things there we don't need to miss here. We, they're important. Number one, um, Nineveh was a foreign uh, city, a very prominent capital city of the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrians were constant enemies of Jonah and his people, constant enemies of God. In fact, they were ruthless. They were, when they would conquer a people, they're just gruesome things that they would do to their victims. You know, in a lot of ways, it's not unlike ISIS today. In fact, some archaeologists would say that Nineveh is very close to where current day Mosul is. And so Jonah's uh, command here would be, and I think Andy might have mentioned this last week, it'd be like, okay, we've got a private jet in the parking lot, and as you leave today, we've got tickets, one-way tickets for you to fly to Mosul, and your job is to go preach to ISIS and just tell them that they need to change their ways. Just everybody signing up for that? Here we go, right? And so just to give... Um, Jonah some slack here. That was a huge, huge challenge that was put before him. And this was totally unique. There were other times that prophets would speak against other nations, but they always got to do that from the security of their own like house or their own country. But never had a prophet been told, okay, I want you to prophesy against that country, and I actually want you to go there and do it. So this was a huge, huge assignment. Nineveh was a great city, uh, we're going to see later it had over 120,000 people in it. It was just massive for that day. That it would take you three days to walk from suburb to suburb and get through the whole extent of that city. And so the point here is that God, at times, is going to invite us into big things. Uh, again, like I said earlier, amazing always starts with daring. And so the invitation here was, Jonah, step into the story of God. Step into what God is doing. And so... Uh, there are some applications for us out of that, too. Um, I don't know if you got to be a part of last weekend. Uh, it was our Global Workers Conference, so you hear different stories of what's going on around the world. One thing that grabbed, a couple things grabbed my attention last week. One was how the gospel is spreading in the Middle East, that since 9-11, there have been more Muslim-born uh, people beginning to follow Jesus now than in just numerous centuries before 9-11. And what's drawing these people to Jesus are two things. One is a, a disdain for the violence of radical Islam, but at the same time, an amazement at the courage and compassion of people who are following Jesus. And, and, and Muslims are coming to Jesus in unprecedented ways. And so um, those, are, those are believers who are just stepping in to the big story of God even regardless of the circumstances. It, it requires courage. It requires daring to step into the plan of God. So we're called to live boldly. And I appreciated there was a conversation I had in the foyer last week, and somebody said, um, and I, I resonated with it, somebody said, um, Andy had just given that message, and somebody said, oh, it's kind of like Andy was just in our living room last night because we were sitting there asking, okay, what are we supposed to be doing? Like, what's something bigger we should be living for than driving kids to practices and kids to school and, you know, all the things that we can get caught up with? A phrase you heard often last weekend is that God has entrusted us with the gospel, and it's not supposed to just stop with us. It's supposed to be passed on, right? And so if you've been around me for a while, you've heard me use the analogy of a baton, like if you know the gospel, if you know how amazing God is and his love and grace for us, if that message has come to you, and if that's like a baton, 
that baton has touched so many hands, tracing all the way back to the time of Christ. And for that baton to be passed has had to take acts of sacrifice and courage and boldness. That that baton, not to get gruesome, but you know, that some of the people that have passed that on may have even given their lives for that. There may be blood on that baton that you are now embracing. And so the point of the gospel that God would say is, I'm writing this story. I'm trying to save the nations. You've got this baton. Now pass it, pass it on. Okay, so, so that's, that's the thrust here with God saying to Jonah, go to Nineveh, that great city. And so I was just thinking through our church, and there are so many examples of you guys doing this well. I think of how many of us in this church have adopted children into your family, or you're caring for those that do, or you're involved in foster care. Those are powerful things. I think of our families that have left here to go help start the East Campus for us. I think of of many of you just serving, giving your time, giving your resources. Those are all examples of, of people just laying it down so that they're responding to the call, the call of God. And so and so that's where we start, that the almighty authoritative God who loves to bless his people loves to call us to bigger things, all right? And so the question is, how are we going to respond to that? Are we going to step out? And I'll have to be honest, last week just really challenged me, like what, what are some evidences of me taking daring steps because of my faith? And that it was a great challenge. And so, so that's Jonah. It's the beginning of the book. And so now you go, okay, well, here's a prophet. He's getting this big call from God. What's he going to do? And so let's look what happens to Jonah. It says that Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And he went down to Joppa and he found a ship going to Tarshish. And he paid the fare and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. Okay, so there are numerous, if you're into the Hebrew language, if you're into like uh, literary structure and style. There are so many word plays throughout this whole book. In fact, the first one hits us right away. God said, arise and go to Nineveh. So the same wording, but just kind of twist a little bit. Uh, Jonah arose, but he fled. Like he didn't arise and go, he arose and fled. He went the complete opposite direction. It reminded me like when, I, when my oldest daughter was like two, uh, Hannah, and it was like the weekend before our second child was coming. So it was kind of like the last daddy-daughter bonding moment before another child comes. So my, my daughter loved dogs at that time. So we were at one of those dog shows at the fairgrounds south of town where, you know, they'd let a dog out and he'd go through the hoops and he'd do the little up the ladder, down the ladder, you know, do all this kind of thing. So we'd see dog after dog do that. Then finally they got to this one dog where they, they just let him out of the box and he just took off. Like he just, he just <laughs> ran for the hills in the back of the, you know, those little hills behind the fairgrounds. And his master's like, come back, come back. You know, all the other answers like, hup, hup. you know, and the dog's doing everything they say. This guy would be like me and my dog, Baba. It'd be just like that, like, Baba, come back. Baba, you idiot. Like, come back. Like, just, it just was melting down all over the place. We just, even my daughter was just howling. It's just one of those moments, just laughing. Doggy, run away. Doggy, run away. So that's Jonah. Like, how clear could it be? God says, go to Nineveh. In fact, if you know your geography, those are completely different uh, parts of the world. From where Jonah was to go to Nineveh would be to go one direction, but instead he intentionally went far to the other direction. It's like if I said to you, I want you to go to New York, and you go to L.A. It's not like even, it's not like I didn't hear you. It was like, you said, I thought you said Las Vegas, and I went to Los Angeles. It's like Jonah's saying, no, I know you said go to Nineveh, but I, doggone it, I'm going to go 
to Tarshish, okay? Did you see, even in that short verse, three different times, I'm going to Tarshish, I'm going to Tarshish, and twice it said that he was trying to flee from the presence of the Lord. Um, you guys, here we got to keep bringing this back to us, because I think there's a timeless truth here that there is inside of every one of us that Jonah tendency to just run away from God. Like we, especially even, he's a prophet. He knows who God is. So I could even speak to myself as a pastor, to spiritual leaders here, to if it's your first time here. Like all of us have this propensity that God speaks, we know what God thinks, and yet we go and do our thing. There's just a tendency in our lives that you can take six-week slices, maybe six-year slices of your life, and see there's a pattern where you just run from God. In fact, sometimes you could even be here every week just looking good on the outside and you're worshiping, but throughout the week, man, your heart is just running from God. You don't trust him. You don't like what he said. Uh, remember, we want God's job, so even though God's telling us to do this, we go do our thing. And so I just think of the different ways we do that. I'm asking that question honestly this morning. Are you, are you running from God? Like, is, is God truly the one that's calling the shots in your life who's you know, is he truly the one that you're, you're, you're following? And so um, I just think of different ways. For example, God has an amazing and beautiful plan uh, for sex. And yet there are so many examples of people that might assent to following God and know what God says. And yet what we do privately is we are just running from God. In fact, one of the things ravaging the American church today is pornography. That when God says sex is a beautiful thing, it's reserved for a man and woman in the context of marriage, and, and yet what, what pornography is doing to marriages and doing to, to men, pre- predominantly, but now in greater ways to women as well, it's just absolutely, it's absolutely devastating. And so, again, on the outside, things could be looking good, but inwardly we could be running from God. You could think of things, too, like just how we treat each other. God is calling us to to love each other, and yet you look at how we'll size people up and who's worth my time or who am I going to talk to or who am I just going to walk by or who are the people in your life that there's a, there's a conflict, there's a tension, and God calls you to, to confront or to forgive, and yet we just continue to just, I'm just going to talk them down. They're not worth my time. And so there's so many things that God has called us to do. The God who's great, the God who's gracious, the God who knows how our lives work best, and yet there's a tendency for us to just go and do our, our own thing. And so, and so are you running from God? And the second question is, is who are your Ninevites? I think we're going to find out later that the reason Jonah said, I'm not going to Nineveh, wasn't because he was afraid. It was because he didn't like Ninevites. He didn't, he didn't want them to hear about God. He knew that God was going to be gracious with them. And so the second question is, who are the Ninevites to us? Who are the people that we just look down on, we don't talk to, we don't even care about. So the patterns we're going to see throughout our lives is that, is that we want to do our thing and not God's. We want to run from God. But here's the second thing we all need to know this because we all run from God. Here's the second thing we need to know is that as we're running away from God, God is relentlessly pursuing us in his grace. He's, he's right on our heels and he's ready to be good to us. He's ready to be gracious uh, to us. And so that's, that's what we're going to see in the rest of the chapter about Jonah. That's, that's his story. So uh, look at verse 5. We'll start there. It says, so Jonah's running from God. Jonah's gotten on this ship. Jonah's going to Tarshish. 
But verse 5 says, but the Lord hurled, watch this word hurl. You're going to see it come up a couple of different times. The Lord's going to hurl wind. You're going to see sailors hurl cargo. Eventually, you're going to see Jonah get hurled off the ship. And I don't think this carried over into Hebrew, but eventually you're going to see a whale hurling Jonah out of his stomach. So I don't think that fourth hurl really was a fit. I just threw that in there. Okay, so, but in chapter one, you're going to see three hurls. Okay, so the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Literally, that's worded that the ship is like given qualities of a person. Like, I'm going to break up. Like, this, this storm is so bad, I'm just going to blow up. So that's how bad this was. And so then the mariners were afraid. So these are seasoned sailors. Like, they've seen, this isn't just like a little windstorm or, oh, it's getting a little choppy out here. Like, this is, this is intense because they are afraid. And they each cried out to his God. So they're desperate. And everybody's got their own God and their only person they worship. And everybody start calling out to your God. This is a big one. Okay, so, and then it says they started hurling. There's the next hurl. Hurl the cargo that was in the ship uh, into the sea to light it up for them. This is how you know this was a bad ship. Because if you're a mariner, if you're a sailor, this is your moneymaker right here. You're, you're hauling cargo. But now it's between, do I want to make money or do I want to live? Right? So they're, they're chucking cargo into the sea. And as they're doing that, the captain uh, discovers Jonah. But Jonah had gone into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, O sleeper? Arise and call to your God. Perhaps your God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And so uh, he finds Jonah sleeping there. There's a couple things here that as, as you're running from God, as we tend to do, and we're running from God, there's a couple of responses God may have. One is, and the Bible shows us this, is that he might just let you go. Not that he doesn't care about you, but he might let you go and experience what you want to experience. He, Romans 1 calls it just giving you over. He may just give you over. And if your pursuit is for sexual fulfillment apart from his plan, he, he may just let you go in that for a while until you get to what you think you were looking for. You go, wait, that, that, this isn't working. Or if that's with using money instead of God to find your security or whatever that is, or how you're treating people, you're trying to leverage, become more popular than everybody else, or more liked, and you're cutting other people down, eventually, God may let you go and just let you experience that that doesn't work, all right? What you see here with Jonah, though, is God sometimes will do this. God will sometimes bring a storm into your life. And if you look throughout the Bible, the illusion of a storm or the image of a storm is often equated with God's anger. And so before you get creeped out, okay, wait, God is angry, like, God, it's possible for God to be angry and gracious at the same time. Okay, here's an example. Let's say we're leaving church today, and you know the kind of that drive-through at Parkview where sometimes people just go whipping through? That's a good public service announcement for don't drive fast through there. But let's say you're doing, or somebody's doing that, and you're just walking out, and there's a little four-year-old next to you. It's not your kid, but you see that kid just kind of blasting out, and you see that car coming fast. What's your approach going to be? Is it going to be like, hey, you, you might want to think about slowing down. It might not be good for you. Like, I doubt that. I think what you'll do is you'll go, hey, come on. You might just grab that kid's arm and yank him. In that moment, your words are going to sound so harsh and mean. That may even have hurt that child's arm when you yanked it. But why did you do that? Were you being mean? Or were you responding out of love and grace? And that's just us. You talk about a holy God who loves us way more than we show love to anybody. Like, there's times where God may step in and just bring a storm into your life to get, you a, get your attention. 
I think that's exactly what he's doing here to Jonah. Even though Jonah's running from him, God's not going to let him get away without seeing his grace. And so God is using this storm to get, to get Jonah's attention. And so you keep reading in verse 7. It says, they said to one another, come on, let's cast lots so we can know on whose account this evil has come upon us. And so they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Just maybe to save us time, just picture a lot as being like rolling dice, something like that, where at times God would use that to kind of point someone else. So picture this being eeny, meeny, miny, Jonah. Like it's, it landed on him. It's you, Jonah. It's it's you. And so like, just boom, the spotlight's on him. And just look at verse eight. Like as soon as they find out who it is, they just hammer him with questions five in a row. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What's your occupation? Where do you come from? What's your country? Of what people are you? Just boom, 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 boom. Question, question, question. What I want you to watch now is this. Watch how Jonah responds when he's caught. When, when, when it's now exposed, okay, you're a runner, you've been running from God, um, watch, watch what he does. There, there's, there's something to learn from Jonah here. Because um, there's runners in this room. I know this morning, there's, some of you are just flat out on a sprint away from God. There, there may be some things, even as I'm talking, it's not because I'm anything, but God's love for you, he may just be poking at some stuff in your heart. He may be just reminding you of his love. He may be pointing out things as I'm talking because um, he loves you. And so let's watch what Jonah does. He says, they, they say, you know, the lot falls on him. They pummel him with these questions. And he says, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And, and so just, he just owns up. He just puts it out there. Here's who I am. This is what I'm doing. And look at verse 10. Then the men were exceedingly afraid. And they said to him, like sometimes the most sensible people maybe aren't even those that know God, but they're just kind of watching Jonah here and they're going like, they're going like, what is this you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he told them. We don't know when he told them that he was fleeing in the presence of God. Did he slip it in between those five answers? Or like, was it when he got on the ship? Hey, are you on business or pleasure? I'm fleeing from God. Oh, great. Just go ahead and go on in. Like, welcome to the ship, you know? And so now that the storm's there, they're going like, wait, you're what? You're running from the God who created the seas? Like, you, you think you can get away from him? Are you a moron or what? Like, look, look, you're, he's, look what he's doing to you. He's trying to get your attention. Like, how can you reject this God? And so, so Jonah's being scolded. A prophet of God is being scolded by people who don't even know God. You know, what are you doing? And so, but what I love what Jonah did is that he owned up. He didn't blame. He didn't cower in shame. He didn't try to hide what was going on. Oh, I don't know. I don't know why this is happening. Man, this is bad. You know, I think that let's roll the lot again. It's somebody else. Man, he just throws in. He just owns up. He stops pretending. He stops hiding. And that's the same thing for us this morning, you guys. Like, we have got to stop running. The longer we run from God, just the hurt we're bringing on ourselves, the hurt we bring on people around us, is just absolutely devastating. Stop running. Just let's square up with God. Here's who I am. This is what I've done. I'm not going to blame anybody. I'm not going to deny it. I'm not going to be ashamed to just kind of hide it and keep it away. Um, I'm just going to square up with what's going on. Verse 11, then they said to him, well, what should we do to you 
that the sea will quiet down for us, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous. Okay, you're going to see that phrase. Like the storm was really bad before. It's just going to keep intensifying. Okay, so these, the panic, the terror, the fear is just escalating. Verse 12, he said to them, pick me up and there's hurl again, hurl me into the sea and then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know that it's because of me, this great tempest has come upon you. But nevertheless, I mean, there's some compassion here. These guys, they rode hard to get back to the dry land, but they could not for the sea grew, here it is again, more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out. What I want you to catch here is, remember about an hour ago, these guys had no idea who God was, right? The only way they knew there was a God of the heaven and earth who created the land and sea was that a prophet just told them, okay? But look, look at their panic slash worship of this God. Okay, oh Lord, they're calling him Lord. Let us not perish for this man's life. Uh, and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. Like they, they're surrendering to God as the sovereign Lord of the universe. Jonah was running from him, but they're, they're surrendering to this sovereign Lord of the universe. You're doing what you please. So they picked Jonah up and they, here's hurl again, hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. You know, wouldn't you think then that these sailors would all start high-fiving each other? Yeah, man, we... Got rid of that guy. Look, look at verse 16. This is astonishing. Then, then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows. Like they're not talking about before when all this is going. They're talking about after. When Jonah goes into the waves and the sea is calm, they got really scared then. They got really scared then. Like, so what scared them? It's very similar to when there's a story in the New Testament where Jesus was in the boat with his disciples and he falls asleep and a big storm comes and they're all panicking and they go, Jesus, wake up. Don't you care that we're going to drown? Remember, Jesus just stands up and goes, peace, be still. Everything's calm. And then, and then it says, and the disciples were terrified. And they said, who is this that's in the boat with us? Remember, these guys were crying out to any god. Like, it doesn't matter. Just call out to a god. Maybe one of the gods will connect with the storm and calm it down. But when they squared up with the one that is the legit, powerful god, their knees buckled. And I don't think it was just at the power of God, but I think what really buckled their knees was the response of God. You mean we could cry out to this god and he heard our cries? I think it's that powerful combination of the greatness of God and the grace of God that just drove these guys to fear and to worship. I mean, those Hebrew words there are intense. These guys worshiped God. They offered a sacrifice to him. They made vows to him. They saw God's power and his grace, and they, they responded to him. And so God was incredibly gracious to them. And we don't have a story of, so what happened to those guys after that? We just know at that moment, they had an amazing encounter with the God of God who's great and a God who is gracious. But our story picks up with Jonah. And you go, okay, well, well, then what did God do for Jonah? After Jonah goes into the ocean, it said, God uh, pursues Jonah with his grace. Verse 17 says, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. You're going to see next week in chapter 2, 
uh, that Jonah's going to praise God for that. That wasn't like, oh, great, here's another round of judgment. I'm going to be in a fish stomach for three days and smell this stuff. And, you know, he was so amazed that God saved him and rescued him. So Jonah was a recipient of the grace of God. It's interesting, the word there that talked about the raging waves, the only other use of that word raging in every other place in the Old Testament was a reference to anger, that, that the raging anger of God was calmed when Jonah went into the sea, that it was God's anger. And so there's a really important point here that, that when Jonah was squaring up with what he had done, when Jonah was squaring up that he was running from God, uh, he realized that he had offended the holy God by running from him. And that now he was an object of the wrath of God. And the only way, the only way that he could escape the wrath of God for what he had done when he was running, this is amazing, was to throw himself into the grace of God. You know, as he's saying, my God that I believe made the, made the heavens, made the, made the earth, the dry land, and the sea, He's in those, seeing those waves. He goes, God made those waves. God, you know, I, I was looking through that all this week. Why did Jonah jump? Why did Jonah just say, throw me in? Was he being fatalistic? Like, oh, it's not, I've already screwed up enough anyway. Just throw me in. You know, was he doing it for that? Was he being stubborn? Like, I'm going to fight this to the end. Throw me in and I'll survive. I just think he saw he had no other recourse that how do you escape the wrath of God that we so deserve when we run from him is that we just throw ourselves into the grace of God. And God graciously responded because remember when you run from God, um, God's going to be following you, ready to show you his grace. It is so cool that there are two passages in the New Testament that link Jonah with Jesus. In fact, Jesus said this in Matthew 12. He said, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so the son of man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. He's pointing back to the crucifixion, where for three days and three nights he, as he says here, um, was in the heart of the earth until he resurrected from the dead, and he defeated the power of sin and death. And so Jesus is saying, I'm like Jonah, I'm going to descend for three days and then I'm going to rise. And so Jesus is the Jonah who followed God's plan, who left, a, who left for a foreign place, a place that rejected him, and he did not run, but he preached and he went. And he rescued people like us who run from the presence of God. For the wages, the Bible says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So to the runners in the room this morning, including there are times in my life where I'm that runner, what we need to do is just square up, acknowledge who God is, acknowledge no excuses, just acknowledge that we've run from him. And, and, and rely on the only recourse, that it was Jesus who jumped into the anger of God and who, who paid the price for us. And when Jesus was dying on the cross, see, God is holy and just, and you can't just look at us runners. And God doesn't matter. You guys can run. You can break my laws. You can do whatever you want. Like, for God to be holy and just, he can't do that. So for God to be holy and just, somebody had to pay for what we have done. And that's what Jesus did. So that now God in his grace can take runners, sinners like us, who run from him, who repent and turn back and say, God, I, I admit, I'm squaring up with you. I, I've sinned. That, that, that through what Jesus has done for you on the cross, you can experience 
the forgiveness and the grace of God. So runners, stop running. Stop running and jump into the grace of God. So three takeaways. Number one, God's got a mission. It's astonishing what he wants to do through your life. You know what's amazing is that Jonah later is called a great prophet. You go like, are you kidding me? Like this guy was a great prophet. You can say the same thing about yourself. Are you kidding me? Me? God has a big story that he's writing. God has a mission, and he's inviting you to be a part of it. The way you be a part of it is by obeying what he's calling you to do. The second thing is that when the going gets hard, when it's hard following him, don't run from God. Run to God. Run to the grace of God. There was a prophet named Elijah. The things got really hard from him, so he just took off. But different than Jonah, he ran toward Mount Sinai. He ran toward where God was, and God met with him. God comforted him. God told him truth where he was believing lies, and then God restored him. So it's hard following God. It's hard uh, trusting God, but don't run from him. Run to him. And the third one is, um, is that I don't see anyone else in Jonah's life. I see Jonah just kind of flying, flying solo here. It was interesting, if you were here last Sunday night, Andy, uh, our speaker, was talking about, when I hear Andy speak, okay, he's going to charge me up to go reach the nations. It's really interesting. Step one on Sunday night for Andy was this. It wasn't like, hey, everybody, just go out and do the big plan God has for you. Step one was, you need a family. You need a group of people around you. That is so awesome. Those are one of my powerful takeaways that we... Don't just run out of here solo trying to do big things for God, but you need a team of people with you doing it together. You need people in your life that when you're starting to walk toward Tarshish instead of Nineveh, are the people say, hey, wait a minute, what are you, what are you, what are you doing? Like, why, why are you going this way? Like, you, God said, go that way. You need people that will love you enough to keep you on track that God's calling you to do. So you need a family. Jonah had no one. Jonah, when you're by yourself, you can talk yourself into just about anything. So you, you, need, you need a family. I've got our church's mission and vision statement there for us to really do that, equipping people to extend the gospel together for the good of our neighbors and our world, or helping people experience the hope and healing power of the gospel. In order for us to do that, we've, we need to apply the things that we're going to be learning from Jonah in the next few weeks. So um, we have a tendency to run from God which is please know, runners, that God is pursuing you with his grace. Let me pray for us, and we'll continue to worship here. Uh, Father, thank you for this book. Thank you for just the transparency that we see in the life of Jonah, that even though he's a prophet and even a great prophet, we see a season in his life where he just ran from you. God, we so relate to that. I, do, I pray specifically, God, stop the runners today. May they stop excusing it or denying it or hiding it in shame, but just, God, may we square up with you if we're running this morning. And I thank you that when we do, right on our heels is going to be a God of grace who is there to forgive, who is there to restore, and who is there to, again, invite, him, invite us into your story. So thank you, God. Help us learn these amazing principles from this book, and then set us free to do what you want in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Thank you for listening to this message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. Parkview's mission is to love God, love others, and serve the world. If you live in the Iowa City area, we invite you to join us in person for services every weekend. You can get service times and directions, download messages, and get news and information about Parkview Church by visiting www.parkviewchurch.org. You can also contact us by phone at 319-354-5580 or write to us at Parkview Church, 15 Foster Road, Iowa City, Iowa, 52245.